Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. What's going on, y'all? So there's a lot of people that have like super, they have like a different, they'd always say their intro before you go into the podcast. So I actually just thought of one. What if I got on here and I was like, welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. This is your host, Emotional Support Viking, where you uh, shit on your ex, have lots of sex, and then give it a flex. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if I had a different one for every, for every episode? Anyway, what's up, y'all? This is a very special episode. I have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine who I've known for over four years, and we, we've been through a lot together. She's somebody who I respect more than any other human on this planet. She has a wealth of knowledge in so many different areas, lots of wisdom. I call her the sage because I feel like she just, she helps people heal. But anyway, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Her name is Natasha. Natasha, I'm so happy to have you here. Mm, I'm so excited to be here. Introducing myself, man, I find it so weird when people are like, who are you? I don't really like the like resume. Like, <laughs> this is my accolades. Like, here's my list of all the things that is supposed to make me, I don't know, credible source of information. I don't know. But what's up? My name's Natasha Storm. I'm one of Mavi's best friends. I think the bestest friend. So I'm excited to be here and serve today and talk about whatever comes up and just speak authentically. Obviously, I am a female. I'm somebody who's been through the ringer and a lot of different things in my life. And I guess the simplest way to introduce myself is I feel like I'm just somebody who values responsibility, integrity, simplicity, and peace. So that's going to be my intro. And then I run a couple businesses and I do some cool shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, like I've obviously, we've been partners in business for a long time, but the stuff that we've gone through on the personal front, we, I feel like that you and I embody the personal development that it takes to, accomplish quite a bit in business, especially in the in the entrepreneurial space where your your personal development has to kind of mirror that next level. And we've 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 always shared our 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 wins, our our hills and valleys, so to speak. And we've gone through a lot of those things together. And I know you've talked me off the ledge of many, many a times when I've messaged you at 4 a.m. with a crisis <laughs> in my business. <laughs> And so it's been really cool. It's been awesome to go through those things with you. And you're somebody who, you know, you you hit on integrity. Like because of your presence in my life, I continuously have made integrity such a priority. And and as you know, and many people that follow me know, integrity was not something I had for a very long time. And and I, I, you know, had to sit at the table of consequences, as you would say, because of that. And so talk a little bit, if you don't mind, like, integrity for you what does that mean you know personally and and otherwise yeah it's interesting it's like what does it mean personally i think that we try to compartmentalize things in life they're not separate how you show up in one area is how you show up in every area it's like what do you value integrity to me we have a saying in my company and that i live by and it's like when you have integrity nothing else matters and when you don't have integrity nothing else matters and i think that encapsulates it, right? It's integrity to me is choosing to do what's right versus what's convenient. 
It's having the hard conversation that you don't want to have because you're scared that person's going to leave you. It's doing shit messy and being okay with it, but knowing that you came from a place of just innocence, like goodness. You're not out to do hurtful, vengeful, spiteful shit to other people. It's like, how can I lead from a place of honesty, vulnerability, tell the truth when I don't want to? And that that's the forefront of every decision that you make. And I always come back to when you have integrity, nothing else matters. And when you don't, nothing else matters. I have this saying that we could be best friends for 30 years. And if I fucked your husband on year 31, (laughs) the first 30 don't count because it immediately kills that trust, that safety, that rapport, that consistency, everything that you believed I was is completely eroded in a single decision that I didn't have integrity. And I think that people are so riddled with anxiety, depression, OCD, just like all of these diagnoses that the doctors give them. Dude, you're just out of fucking integrity with yourself, with your life, with your marriage, with your kids, with your body. And it just manifests as anxiety. Well, no shit. I would have fucking panic attacks too if I constantly self-abandon. And that was the filter that I lived my life from. So integrity to me, it's like it's doing what's right versus what's convenient, and you know, bringing it to your audience. Sometimes that looks like leaving your marriage. That's the right thing to do. Super inconvenient, going to be terrible. Twelve out of ten, not a good fucking time to divorce your husband of fifteen years and pack up your shit and start over your life. But that's what you need. And until you make that decision, you're going to live with chronic anxiety, debilitating. You're going to eat your feelings every Friday night because you're so disconnected from your environment. So it's that, my long-winded answer, that when you're in integrity with self, life is so much easier. You can weather anything when that's the when you start with integrity, but also when you start and end with responsibility. Oof. Yeah. God, so much there. And, and I know that a lot, of, a lot of women probably just got hit in the ribs with a couple of those because they're like, damn it, I'm doing that. And that's okay. Nat and I are imperfect people, and neither one of us come from a, a pedestal on any of these things. You know, wisdom is just healed pain, as they say. So, I'm. I just want to put that out there. Like we, we, we've probably done the things that you that you're going through right now in some way in our own personal life. So we've just we've navigated those things, and we're and you know, like to your point, Jesus. When I was being a when I was being a piece of shit, man. <laughs> cheating on people and and lying and manipulating and running from that truth kind of like you I think it was you that said this when we ignore when we ignore reality chaos occurs right mm-hmm. uh, and chaos was my entire life because of ignoring the reality and and I think a lot of us ignore reality whether it's in a relationship whether it's in you know our personal habits you know with my audience and, and our clients a lot of times we find that the the weight loss struggles and the struggles with eating and the struggles in relationship, or they have a toxic relationship, whatever it is, it comes from an integrity gap. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, every, you said how we do anything is how we do everything, right? Which I think somebody said, well, it was a great coach that said that, I think, but I can't remember who it was, John Wooden or somebody of that caliber. But those themes come into play so much in a nutrition coaching program when we're helping women you know, it starts out as we're going to fix your eating habits. We're going to fix your exercise habits. But what, what it becomes is we, we lack integrity in certain areas of our life. And it's manifesting as, you know, like you said, soothing with food in some way. We're, we're soothing the anxiety from the toxic, like what we're settling for in the relationship by 
chronically overeating or under moving because we have so much depression or anxiety resulting from the chaos in the relationship or resulting from unhealed wounds in some way, right? So it, like, it's all, it all kind of bleeds over into one another. And so that's why a lot of stuff I talk about on our group calls to the clients is just this. It's like, where else in your life are you lacking integrity? Nat, what would you, what would you tell someone? Because I have this conversation with women all the time. Someone who's in a relationship where they know they're being disrespected. They know that their needs aren't being met. Some of them being insulted on a daily basis, put down, and yet they stay in the relationship chronically. What would, what would you, what would a conversation look like with that woman? Ooh. <clears throat> my, my first thought is like, you will not change until you decide you want to start with responsibility, like period. There's nothing I'm going to say to you that's going to, be your fucking come to Jesus moment where the light shines down from through the clouds <laughs> and makes you feel seen. Like it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible to self. It's irresponsible to your future self. It's irresponsible to your kids, your friends, your family, like everything around you, accepting that. The reason you do it is because you don't believe you're worth more. You don't believe that you deserve more than that. And you justify that behavior and you justify irresponsibility from other people, but mostly from yourself. I think whenever there's a time in our life that we're kicking and screaming and we're fighting for something and we're fighting to justify and defend something, that's your first sign that you're being irresponsible. You're trying to dodge responsibility. Hey, the way you your partner treats you isn't right. Oh yeah, but like when when we're good, it's amazing. And when it's bad, you know, it's just not the best, but it, it's tolerable. Why are you living a life that's fucking tolerable? You're justifying the irresponsibility. I don't actually want to take responsibility for this because the perceived pain of me being responsible is going to force me to make decisions that I am not ready to make and I'm unwilling to make. You're never going to be ready. Like there's so much more to life than being in a relationship that just shrinks you more and more every year. I was in a relationship with somebody and from the outside looking in, beautiful girl, success, business is booming. The guy I was with was an asshole. And like all respect to him. Like, I don't actually think, think he's an asshole. Like we just all have to do our own healing work and we embody our values at different points, but it's easy for people to put that image in their head. Not very kind, verbally abusive. I relied so heavily on like sex in that relationship in order to create intimacy because I never felt safe. And everything in my life was booming except for that. And it was just this big noose wrapped around my neck. And people would ask me like, man, do you like the way he treats you? And I was like, oh, he's just going through hard times and it's okay and things will get better. And they never did three years later until I finally left. So if I was listening to somebody talk to me about being in that abusive situation, accept people where they are. Look at your life right now and say, if nothing changed for the next two decades, would I want to be here? Stop dating potential. Stop holding on to potential. You're either doing the thing or you're not. Don't talk about it, be about it. I used to go on dates with guys when I was younger before I achieved like any level of success in my life. And they would tell me, I'm going to create a podcast. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to buy a real estate and like all these cool stuff. And I was so enthralled by it, right? I was so sold. And I think a lot of women get into that place where somebody tells you all the things that they want to do. I'm going to treat you so good. I'm going to be there for you. Like we're going to get married one day. We're going to have a family and do all this stuff. And they just sell you on this dream. But that's not who they are. That's not how they show up today. They don't treat you good today. They're not consistent. They're not doing any of those things. So look at your life right now. 
and stop creating stories and narratives around how something should be and how you want it to be. And it's like, are you okay with what is? And answer that honestly. Most people don't. If you ask the average person, are you happy right now? Yes or no? They're like, oh, it's okay. That's not a fucking answer. I asked you yes or no. Because if you say no, the moment you say it, you can't live with that cognitive dissonance anymore. So we beat around the bush. Are you happy with the woman you see in the mirror? Yes or no? Well, sometimes I feel better than others. Okay, so that's a no, but you don't want to say anything about it because if you did, it would get leverage on you to go achieve something else. But you'd rather live in cognitive dissonance because it feels safer Mm. because you just haven't learned any other way yet. So that would be the conversation that I would have with a woman. At what point are you going to stop fighting for potential and start living in reality? I think everybody should just go back and replay the last three minutes whenever you have these questions. Seriously, whenever you have these questions about your life. And one thing that you, you said that just really stood out to me was like, why the fuck are you accepting tolerable? And how many of us are doing that, you know, living in that, that little safety bubble that has become home? You know, I hate this neighborhood, but at least I know my way around, you know, just afraid to venture out, afraid of the unknown. Like, oh God, I know I need to leave this relationship, but the discomfort of the conflict created by taking a stand for myself is just too much to bear right now in this moment. You know, we see a lot of that. And I've been there, you know, I used to, on the other spectrum, I was a a quote unquote nice guy. I would, which is not a nice guy, by the way, but it's a nice guy where you, you know, you, you please, you please, you collapse to please. You, you are so, unwhole that the thought of being without this person that now defines all of your worth is death. And therefore you must posture and chameleon yourself to be whatever that other person thinks is attractive or thinks is exceptional because anything less than that is just, I can't bear it. I don't, I can't be alone because I'm not good enough alone. I have to have this person. So that leads to a very toxic manipulative dynamic where you're like, you go above, like from on the male side, you know, I go above and beyond to, to do things in order to, it's like a covert contract. I, I give to get, I went and did this really super nice thing for you so that you would think that I'm awesome and compliment me and stuff. But then other down the road, I'm going to expect something in return or in a conflict, I'm going to use it as leverage against you. And you don't even know that. So it becomes just like, it's not actually a nice guy. It's like a front to get things that, you know, because I'm lacking so much wholeness. So like we point being, we get in these these dynamics that don't serve us whatsoever. And we just totally collapse our values and self-abandon in order to continue this, this, what feels good instead of what's right, what feels good short-term instead of what's right. And that's, that truly is integrity. Like that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. One thing you said, I want to dig into a little bit was using, using sex as the primary means of intimacy, right? As the only time you feel close. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. In that relationship, oh my God, sex felt like a pasta strainer. Like it was just never enough, you know? Like you could just like pour in so much water and it was just like gaping holes in the relationship. And I didn't know it at the time because I was so infatuated. And it's like trauma bond, right? I think people don't realize it. You meet somebody, chemistry super high. Oh my God, I'm so attracted to this person. Like they're the one and we're gonna, and this story just goes zero to fucking 100. Like you've known this person for three months and all of a sudden you 
you're looking at wedding photos together and like, you're going to be together forever. And you know, like, have you seen them under stress? Have you seen them under financial pressure? Like, do you like their habits and rituals? How do they show up routinely? Hmm, Maybe they're not congruent with the shit they say all the time. So in the start, we create this like massive narrative around people. We get chemistry super high. We put them on a pedestal and then you get into this relationship and the first like six months of the relationship, six to eight months, all you do is have sex. Oh, I'm so attracted to you. We should have sex two to three times a day. And then you leave that dynamic. You go out with your friends, you go out on a trip and you're like texting them, calling them, hey, don't like checking in. You don't even realize you're doing it because you don't feel safe. You use sex to create that intimacy. You use sex to create that safety. It's like, Or I'm so attracted to them. And if this person is having sex with me all the time, then they must be committed to me. So I feel safe when we're in that dynamic. And then the moment that we have any space from one another, you're so uncomfortable. You can't sit with the distance because the relationship isn't safe. I don't think that when we're in healthy, grounded relationships, that sex is like the primary driver of the relationship. Like, yes, you want to be intimate and yes, you're sexually attracted to somebody. And yes, you want to have that connection and intimacy, but it's not, it's not like the number one priority. I think when it's the number one priority, you're doing it to feel significant, to feel safe, to feel reassured, to feel like you have connection to that person. But you're doing that because you're so disconnected from yourself. You can't sit in silence. You can't just be present with this person. You, Their behavior doesn't create safety in the relationship. So you use sex to feel good about it almost as a means to justify why you're in it in the first place. And then it's like this pasta strainer and you just never feel full, never feels good enough. It, nothing is ever enough. That person could take you on trips. They could buy you so many things. They could have sex with you three times a day. And you're just like, why don't you love me? What the fuck, man? Why don't you love yourself? <laughs> like, and I say that from somebody who lived it. Like my relationship with my ex was so neurotic. It was like he was on a pedestal. I love him. I would do anything for him. Sex was like the primary driver of that relationship. If you took away sex, we had nothing else in common. None of our values, none of our long-term goals not how we showed up in the world. Like the things I wanted made him so uncomfortable. The things that he wanted, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be a fucking housewife. (laughs) We were just so, so disconnected from the future that we were building. But oh man, we had great sex. So we should just prioritize that all the time because it's the only time we can fucking cope with one another. So that- Swiping a a credit card almost. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm not feeling good today. If you could just fuck me, that'd be great. And we'll right. go back to living in dissonance with one another. Yeah, because I can't soothe myself. I mean, you just described my entire last relationship <laughs> to a T. So like we've both, we've both done it, you know? And it's so that's, I mean, that's why we can <laughs> speak on it so clearly. Uh, but yeah, it's like a pasta strainer. Great, great analogy. That's like, a, let's just, let's just put all these, this dysfunction on the back burner and do this thing that makes us feel temporarily good as soon as it's over. It's like, fuck, our problems are still here. I don't actually feel connected to you. I don't feel like our values are aligned, but you know, we just masturbated into each other's bodies. So it must be okay. You know, that's been there, been there. And, and I had just as a, as the way, you know, the things that I've worked through did not know the difference between sex and intimacy for 
29 years of my life, still, still working on it, you know? But I feel like a lot of the things that you've, you've hit on here in terms of like what is important in a relationship, what you value, it narrows it. Obviously, it shrinks the pool of decisions for your entire life, which is a great, simple thing. And it's beautiful. It also narrows the dating pool quite, quite a bit to a, to a pinhead almost because very few people, and I think less people as time goes on, embody those values and, and live those values. Would you say that it's hard for a woman in your position with the values that you hold to, to date? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel my values, I start and end at responsibility. I want peace. I want simplicity. But I also am somebody who's like very growth driven. Like I don't like stagnancy. I don't like, I want to go places in my life. So I make 99% of all of my conscious decisions around that, like my values, where I'm going, the life I want to create, the woman that I want to become. Not many people live in that space that are doing the thing. So I find for me, I look at people's behavior and I'm like, well, that's not congruent. I don't want that in my life. That's going to steer me off track with what I'm trying to create. So I find it challenging to date because I think people tell on themselves all the time. And the more the more work you do on you and the more conscious you become and the more aware of your own self you become, where you make excuses, where you try to blur the lines of integrity, when you have emotional responses to stuff, you pick up on it so quick in other people. And then when you see their behavior, you're like, oh, you're not doing your work. Like it, there's got to be willingness there. So no, I don't need you to be perfect. I don't want you to be perfect. I am so far from perfect. But are you willing to do your work? Can you have a moment where you're a little kid having a freak out, circle back 20 minutes and you're like, okay, this is where I can take responsibility and where we can get better. A lot of people don't do that. And when you listen to people talk, they tell on themselves. So for me, I struggle to find people that I'm interested in pursuing a relationship with because I'm like, you're full of shit. You, you're telling yourself that you're committed to your work and to your healing and integrity matters and all of these things. But then when I listen to you, your behavior does not match and map to the words that you're saying. And I've been through enough relationships and enough two by fours to the face that I'm just like not interested in potential. I would rather be alone and I'm more interested in listening when the dude tells you something on the first date. Like if you go on a date with somebody and they're like, I'm dating for marriage. Like that's my unfiltered truth. I'm not interested in dating somebody to just like hang out, have six months, chill, go to Cabo, have some fun and then part ways. Like I'm dating for marriage. So if I go on a first date with somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm just not really looking for anything serious. I'm just seeing where things go. Immediate disqualification. I hear you. It's not my job to change you. And I think women don't do that. We go on a date and there maybe someone listening to this right now is also dating for marriage. Cool. Probably shouldn't talk to the fucking dude who's confused on what he wants. Like that's just like immediate disqualifier. Okay, cool. Love that for you. I wish you all the best in your dating experience and I'm going to carry on my way. But coming back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you asked me what's integrity. Part of that is integrity, being in integrity with yourself. I want to get married. I want to build a life with somebody. I want to have a ride or die that like 20, 30 years from now, I'm like, man, that's my fucking homie. Like we built this cool life together. So for me to live in integrity with myself, I'm not going to date some punk 
who just wants to like casually hook up with women. Even engaging and pouring any level of energy or effort into that type of dynamic is out of integrity with the life that I'm trying to create. And I think that when we first go through the transition of constantly self-abandoning, not knowing what our yeses and nos are, not honoring what we need, not being clear on what the fuck we want, it feels so hard and so scary. But when you go through the discomfort, you almost like cross over this bridge. And once you get to the other side, it's so easy. Oh my God, it's so fucking easy. But it takes so much work to get there because you're so scared you're going to miss out on stuff. But what you realize is that the more clarity you have about who you are, where you're going, what you value, what you want to create in your life, life gets so simple. You're not missing anything. You're actually just fielding off all the bullshit that you would be bringing into your life otherwise. So is it hard to date? Yes. But I'm also convinced that if I keep showing up, creating the life I want, embodying the values that matter to me, becoming the woman that I see in my mind, be, do, have in the way I show up. I'm going to meet someone who's like, I've been looking for you my whole life. And I'm going to be like, sweet, me too. And then we're going to build a dope life together. And I'm totally cool building my life until that person just like crosses my path. Mm. It does take work to get to that place to be. So much. Yeah, it's (laughs) to the point where you won't take what's what looks shiny and new and ignore those red flags, which I used to do. You know, I used I used to do it constantly. I, I would because I was so unwhole with myself. I would take any crumble of attention that I got, despite the red flags and despite the incongruence. I would overlook, you know, conflicts of of, of clarity. Like you know, I would I would I would I have all these things I want to accomplish in my life, and yet I would settle for the physically attractive person who had none of that clarity or had none of those values or who didn't. Even, you didn't even really understand like what I wanted out of life or, or valued any of the same things that I did. I would overlook that and say, ah, she'll get there. She'll she'll get there. And I started loving the future version of them of them that I that I wanted them to be rather than who they were in this moment. And so, and again, it's not like a, a, a better or worse type of thing. It's just an incongruence that I ignored for the sake of what felt good in the moment. So I, I absolutely resonate with that. And now. Now it's like, yes, it makes it so much easier to not only this is twofold. It makes it so much easier in the dating game to recognize when the, the, the congruence is not there. It also makes the, the, the integrity with self makes it easier to part ways compassionately because Mm -hmm. if, if I'm hiding something, if my motives aren't clear, if I'm not clear in what I want and what I what I want in the future and what I'm embodying now and and moving forward, there's going to be some kind of weird game being played. Like there's we will will part ways on negative terms. I'll, I won't communicate something when it's all out there and clear. And and I'm getting to be someone who just puts everything out there first day. Some people would say that I put a little, probably a little bit too much out there, but where I'm at, I don't. I'm since I'm at a place where I love myself more and more and I'm okay with who I am more and more every day. I don't see the risk in divulging these truths about myself because it's like, well, either either you like it or you don't. It's either congruent or it's not. And that's what it is. I know that there's more abundance out there for me. Like To your point, it's like I'm going to continue to work on the life that I'm building, continue to work on my clarity, my values, and it will attract that person who says, yes, not only do I value those things too, I fucking... I'm obsessed with you for valuing those things. Let's do this life thing. There's going to be someone along the way who's 
who's like that, who has their own values, is independent, is driven, et cetera, wants all these things. And also, you know, can co-create with someone who has those same things. So I, I love all of what you said because I think so many people, especially like in today's dating game, quote unquote, they get, they ignore, they, they will take what is, they'll take the first thing that comes and ignore all the things that they know deep down are incongruent for the sake of what feels good in that moment, the attention they're getting, how someone makes them look, whether it's arm candy or whether it's just like showing their friends, like, look at this guy, Matt. And it's like, that guy's a dick. <laughs> Doesn't matter if he's pretty. He's he's just a pretty guy who's who's an asshole. So it's not actually gonna, this isn't gonna go anywhere. You're gonna be miserable and, and vice versa. So yeah, that's so cool. She said something else I wanted to hit on. It was it was so beautiful. A lot of you are gonna hear things Nat says, especially my clients. You're gonna be like, hey, you said that once. Well, now you know where I got it. Which so many of the mm-hmm. things that you said I've I have said I've I've had to use at some point in in content or when I'm speaking to my clients, it's just brilliant in the way that you see life. I know so many people are going to get value from this. Jeez. What about... Talk about... Oh, man. There's so many things running through my head. Business. Right? Like, oh, here's what... Okay. Before we even get to business, you, in your youth, had your struggles with drugs, right? Some... Mm-hmm. some, And you, you made it through that. Can you talk a little bit about like going through that and, and making it out on the other side? Mm, yeah. So I was wild as a kid. Like, didn't like authority. Didn't like to be told what to do. Pretty sure as soon as I learned to talk, I just stopped listening. I was like, <laughs> don't tell me how to live my fucking life. And Mav knows this better than anybody. I will come to him with a problem and I do not want to hear a solution. I just want to like show him the thing. And then if he gives me a solution, I do the exact opposite. Now now <laughs> just, I know better. <laughs> I'm just chronically resistant to authority. <laughs> so I was wild. And I grew up in a household with a severely disabled brother. Super chaotic. Talking about cognitive dissonance, right? Like we use food to cope with our, our marriage that we don't want to be in or the chaos of our family. Like for me, I went to drugs. I hated being in my household. I left home by the time I was 13. I couch surfed for a couple of years. I was like selling drugs when I was 14 years old, which just like sometimes when I think back to that time in my life, I'm like, it doesn't even feel like it's this lifetime because I'm so, so far changed in how I show up and my values and my character traits today. But yeah, I did drugs for quite a few years when I was really young and almost overdosed. I got super fucked up, like eight day bender. At that point in my life, I was probably 100 pounds soaking wet. I was doing drugs for like week long stints at a time. I was like one of those animated characters that you see in like a sketchy circle K that's like high on meth, like walking around, like doing the hand thing, like just looking like a fucking weirdo. That was me (laughs) at one point in my life. And I got so fucked up that I watched my body melt into the ground, like up past my waist. And I was just like, holy shit, like this is where I die. I locked myself in the bathroom. I puked up three sinkfuls of stomach acid. I passed out on the floor. I woke up 24 hours later, like a full day later on the bathroom floor and was like, holy fuck. If I don't stop doing drugs, like I'm going to die. And I quit drugs that day. I haven't touched them since. It's been 12 years. And that for me was such a pivotal moment in my life because it was the first time that I felt responsible for the choices I was making. Up until that point, I just didn't care. 
I just wanted to party. Just wanted to have fun. Didn't want to feel my feelings. Fuck everybody. Don't tell me what to do. I was just like an accident waiting to happen until that night finally came. And it was the first time I was never somebody that when I was doing drugs would have a shitty night and be like, oh, I should quit. I was never that person. Like there was never a point up until the moment that I made the decision that I had ever said that. And you know, you listen to smokers sometimes and it's like, oh, I really got to quit smoking. I really got to change this behavior. I had zero intention of changing my drug use until that night. And then when I did, I got sober. And following that, I did two and a half years of high school and nine months trying to clean up the mess from my life. It was like the first time in my life that ever taught me discipline to set a goal and go after it, that I could be, do, and have whatever the fuck I wanted as long as I was committed to getting the outcome. And going through getting sober, I never went to rehab. I never had counseling. I just woke up and was like, I'm never fucking touching drugs again. Didn't. And then doing all my schoolwork, trying to make up for the fact that I was just a mess of a human for the first couple of years prior to that, it, it changed me forever. I've never been the same. I think that that time in my life taught me to commit and execute and not make excuses and get the job done. No matter what is going on in your life, you committed to this. So complete what you started. And I feel when I went through that transformation, I punched the gas and I've just never taken my foot off the gas pedal since. When I think back to that time in my life, it just rewired me. So it's been an interesting journey. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I'm like as sober as they come. And you were talking earlier about like, you know, impacts of dating and stuff. I feel not only do I come from a place of like, here's my values, but I'm also sober completely. Like I'm not interested in like going out on a Friday night with a partner and getting drunk at all. That's not congruent to me, to the life I want to create. So it's interesting how all those things in your life stack up and you become a certain type of person and who you embody and like your character later on in life, making decisions from that place, that sure shit narrows your dating pool, but it also makes for a healthier dating pool. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that still dabble recreationally in drugs and alcohol and do things that aren't congruent with building a life that they want. And women, and I want to share this speaking on behalf of women, man, if you go on a date with somebody and they're like, oh, I drink occasionally, and they drink a couple times a month, and that doesn't align with you, then just don't fucking go there. Like, that's a thing for me. Like, I've met some really cool people and they're like, oh, I drink occasionally. And occasionally to Nat is like once a year, like two beers once a year. That's what occasionally means in the way that I live. And I've met, met people who are like, oh yeah, I'll go out and I'll have a couple drinks on Friday. I'm like, well, well next, because that's not going to be my fucking life because I'll eventually resent you. At some point by month six or seven, I will think you are a fucking loser for acting like that based on my own values. So giving women just the space to, when you meet people in your life, if it doesn't align with what you want to create, just don't go there. So long-winded, here's my drug story, but also don't date losers. <laughs> Answer is how we no, got yeah. there. But I mean, it go, it does, it, it, it goes both ways. I, this, I literally just did not have a second date with someone because of that, because their idea of having a good time usually involved drinking to a drunk level. And that's never going to be who I am. So it's like, I could have been unhealed. Maverick would have said, oh, she's so hot though. It'll buff out. Mm. 
No. It'll buff out. <laughs> It'll buff out. No, it won't. Like, I will be miserable because I'll, uh, two weeks in, I'll say, Jesus Christ, I hate how this is making me feel. I don't want to do this, but I'm collapsing because she's attractive. No. So it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, some people will hear the language you just use and be like, oh, gosh, loosen up. And it's like, no, this is my values. And it, that's called sticking to your values. And it's, it, it makes life much simpler than if you bend your values to appease another or to stay in a relationship. So it's a, it's a, it, some see it as a radical way of living. It's radically simple. It just simplifies mm-hmm. the shit out of everything because it's just, this is how, this is the values that I, that I have. I love that. It's interesting that you said that about being rigid. I get judged a lot for that. Being like very rigid and uptight. It's like chill. I'm as like chill as they come. It just doesn't align with what other people perceive it as, right? Like I'm somebody that the whole building could be on fire and I'm like, say less guys. It's okay. We'll buy a new building. (laughs) And like, I'm so peaceful. I took my team on a team retreat to Honduras, rented an island, super dope experience. We got robbed. I was laughing. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Rented an island. Okay. This is one of the sure I heard that correctly. Go ahead. Rented an island. From from a, from addicted and selling drugs in your teens to renting an island for your team. Just wanted to just want to highlight that. Proceed. <laughs> Proceed. But it was an example of like we got robbed when we were there. All of our shit got stolen. We got like probably at least 30 to 40 grand worth of stuff stolen on that trip, tech. And I was chill as a cucumber. I was like, man, it's just stuff. Who gives a shit? I was laughing at the cop shop. I had my feet up on the table. I was just like sitting there on my laptop doing things from the one laptop that didn't get stolen. And somebody on my team came up to me and they're like, you're a villain. And I was like, why would you say that to me? And they're like, everyone's here in chaos and you're just like chill as a cucumber. But that's an example of somebody might say, oh, you're rigid, loosen up. You're too uptight. You take life too serious because I don't drink and I don't smoke. And I don't want to date the dude that thinks going out on Friday night to have like beers to unwind is like, that's the life that they want to create. So I find it interesting because I get judged for that all the time Mm -hmm. being too uptight. And it's funny because I'm the furthest thing from it. It's it's what lens people live in. Yeah. It's, do you think it's like, some of it has to do is like, I can't stand this about myself. Therefore I can't stand it about you not doing it. Oh yeah. Everything's a mirror, right? Like, Whatever you judge me for, you're judging yourself for. We don't get triggered by people unless they mirror something back to us that either hurt us or resemble something that we're not solidified in self with. I think a lot of people, we could use like the alcohol thing as an example with me. Oh, loosen up. You're too uptight. You're too serious. My way of being triggers other people because it shows you where you are playing small in your own life. I'm willing to let go of everything to achieve what I want. I think that part of me freaks a lot of people out that don't have that, that thing for themselves. Like I run a company called TVAC. I would dismantle everything in my life to bring that vision to reality. There is nothing that I would not trade to fulfill the mission that I see in my mind. I think that freaks a lot of people out because they don't have that for themselves. So the mirror is slow down, chill. You're too rigid. You're too intense. Your intensity is too much for me. 
it's like, man, that's just a mirror to the shit that you're not good with in yourself. Because if I met somebody who was equally sprinting towards what they wanted in life, I don't threaten them in that way. Because it's like, oh man, one of us. One like, of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> we, we find our people. And it, the same goes for the healthy things. When you meet somebody and you're like, oh, I love that person. They're so beautiful. They're so funny. I like the way that they treat others and you're so drawn to them. It's because that also mirrors stuff in you. One of us. It's, it goes both ways. The things that trigger you about others is also one of us, whether you want to admit it or not. And then also the things you really like about somebody mirror things, the beauty that you have within yourself. Everything's a mirror. And to the point that when you actually embody that and you understand it, you cannot dodge responsibility in your life anymore. And when people blow up on you, they get upset at you. You're like, man, this isn't even about me. Like you can express frustrations, but like any, so much of what's coming up for you is like your own shit. It's not about me. You're projecting your stuff on me. And I think part of, you know, you're in an abusive relationship and the guy's being mean to you and he's calling you shitty names and he's saying hurtful things to you. Believe me, what he says to himself in private that you know nothing about is significantly worse than anything that he's saying to you because it is just a mirror. Oh, you're a fat slob. Cool. I bet you say lovely things to yourself in front of the mirror when you get dressed in the morning. Good, sir. It's just mirrors. Yeah. And you tolerate it because you also say shitty things to yourself behind closed doors, which is why you're like, well, one of us, he says the same things to me that I say to me and it's okay. You got to change the relationship with you. You don't, to your point, like what you said about, you know, once, once you kind of get to this place, it, it, you, it gets, you get allergic to, instead of, instead of being allergic to taking responsibility, you get allergic to not taking responsibility. Like mm. things that I used to accept in relationship, things that I used to accept in dating, things that I used to accept about my own behavior. I now cringe at, like I now can't imagine. My mentor brought this up in a in a call last week because of the language I was using. He was like, "No, no, no. I just want to highlight that because seven months ago, you probably would have accepted this type of behavior in the relationship that we were in. Now you can't even imagine succumbing to that type of behavior or allowing it. So it's like once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in in a very good way. When it comes to like closing these integrity gaps over time with yourself, it's like you don't want to go back to not having that in your life. I mean, I, I know mm-hmm. I don't. It's, it's like, I can't... Now that I... I it, it's made life so much simpler. It's made it easier for me to show up as a leader. It's made it easier for me to make decisions in business. It's made it easier for me to be a, show up as a father, as a co-parent, um, mm-hmm. set boundaries because the, the values are firm. And once they're there, that caliber of people that you'll attract into your life will, will mirror that. And, and I think that a lot of you need to, to hear that listening. It's like, this work is hard in the short term, like taking that responsibility. It's like, ugh, it's like a dagger in your, in your ribs for a little while. But once, like once the callus is over, once it heals, man, it's like life is so much simpler than when you accepted all this dysfunction in your life and you tolerated all this behavior from other people. It's, it's, it's so much less stress. The anxiety does start to fade, at least in my experience. I'm sure yours, it's like you, what do you have to be anxious about when you're not leaving a, trail of breadcrumbs behind you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think something else to mention is like, when you stop fighting reality, action is so fluid. 
Like any time in your life, if you're listening to this and you imagine when you were in momentum, like everything you touched turned to gold, just felt really easy. Shit was really simple. You were just like making decisions and like moving and you're in just such a good place in your life. You weren't fighting reality. Action was fluid. When you fight reality, shit is so hard. (laughs) It is so painful. You drag stuff out. You don't make the decisions you want to. In the moment that you just accept reality for what it is and you start making decisions, it's so simple. The other thing that happens is that it doesn't hurt anymore. What hurts is the stories that we create around the way something should be. And in order for me to create a story, it means that I would have to be fighting reality. If I go on a date with somebody and they're super attractive, super handsome, eight out of 10 things line up, but the last two don't, accepting reality is like, okay, cool. We're just not aligned in that way. This doesn't make sense. Super awesome supper. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I hope you have an incredible rest of your weekend. And you go home and you're not dramatic and upset about it. You get dramatic and upset because you're fighting reality. Oh, well, here's another one that didn't work out. I must be a loser. And you just start telling yourself this like insane story. And then you just bitch and moan and whine about it. If you accepted reality, it's just not a good team fit. Man, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Fuck off. Like, it's it's not that deep. (laughs) You had a conversation with this person. Didn't work out. Go home. Do your thing. Action's fluid. Like we, it hurts and things hurt and we get stuck because we entrench ourselves in the narrative of how something is supposed to be. You could take it as far as even saying that the reason that we go through, through such an intense grieving period when a pet dies or a significant other or like a family member dies is because we're fighting reality. I wish they were still here. God took them too soon from me. The narrative, the story, that's what's keeping you sad. What's done is done. You can feel your feelings. You can appreciate those moments of like what comes up, but your suffering comes from fighting reality and wanting things to be different than what it is. When you get to that point and you just bring awareness to it, you're not perfect. You're going to have moments where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm like perpetuating this feeling right now. But you bring awareness to it and you're like, okay, what is reality? Well, this is just a no, or this person is gone or I need to make a different decision, it alleviates all the heaviness out of it. And you're able to make different decisions because action becomes fluid. Bingo. Yeah. And yeah, I think accepting that reality, sometimes people believe in this process that they have this belief that if they accept the reality, it's like, like let's call it what it is. I am tolerating X, Y, Z because I tolerate it for myself. Whatever the reality is, they feel like it's a knock to their character. They're like, well, if I admit this, the studio audience watching my life is going to think that I'm not perfect or that I have flaws, and that keeps them from, you know, walking like leaning into it and and knowing that like on the other side of it, again, it's tr- the truth will bring simplicity to your life of not ignoring these these incongruences that we continue to tolerate. You know, it's, I mean, simply put, it's like the, so many women commit to our program in a closet, hiding from their husband and paying with a secret bank account that their husband doesn't have access to. Like talk about ignoring reality, you know, talking about like not living in truth. Like, what do you, why, why are you, how do we get to that point where we're literally committing to a, a, body transformation program that we we know is going to 
help us like get healthier and change our life for the better and our quality of life. We, but we can't share it with our significant other because there's, we're so out of alignment that we have to hide it from them. Like wild. Like that's, it's in those moments we, when I'm having conversations with those women, I'm just like, you understand, like your entire life's about to change, not just because you're going to stop overeating and, and under moving, but because you're going to have to face this with your husband. You're going to have to like cross this precipice of, of truth with him. And it's going to cause a massive blow up in the moment. But on the other side of it, there's a huge, beautiful life for you that will make decisions like this easier in the future. But like, that's where we get, we get to these, we, we, we get so far down that mistruth hole that it's just like we're the circumstances of our life are outlandish as, as all as a result of avoiding the truths. It's, it's wild to me. It, it's the result of avoiding the truth, but it's also the result of refusing to acknowledge your shame. You're hiding in the fucking closet because you're ashamed. Shame only exists in silence. It's so funny. It's the the quietest emotion because it just zaps your voice from you, but it's the loudest when it screams through your body. Anytime you go to talk and you just, the words aren't there, feels like you choked out, that's shame. You get to these places in your life where you're hiding and you're not talking to people and you're not expressing your needs because you're so ashamed you have them in the first place. And you made a comment and you're like, I don't want people in my life to not think I'm perfect. You're not. None of us are. Perfectionism is like the ultimate, the epitome of shame. If I am not perfect, then I am not enough. You're speaking my soul right now because I lived that for so long. I had so much shame about my prior relationships, the behavior I exhibited, and shame around sex, shame around, you know, who I am. And, and so like the shame was almost like a visceral, just pain that I carried day to day in every interaction and in every way that I postured to, to be exceptional to myself, to the parts that I couldn't accept about myself, you know? So like that speaks to me on such a deep level. Shame is such an unproductive emotion and, and it, it run, it ran my life for a long time. And someone made a comment last night, they said, they literally asked me, they said, Hey, that stuff you say on your, on your posts, like your, some of the posts I've seen where you're talking about past relationships and like your behavior in the past and infidelity and all that. Like, is that real? Like, is all that real? So it's like, I've gotten to this point where the, tr- the like what I'm talking about in terms of like the, the real truth about my prior behavior is it's so beyond what a lot of people would ever put out there because they, they're so at war with self that. They, they think that it's not even authentic. It's like, it's so authentic. They think it's inauthentic. <laughs> mm. So it's, and two years ago, I wouldn't have said that shit on social media where I'm talking about like, yeah, I used to be, you know, I used to cheat on women. I used to lie. I used to manipulate. I used to do all these things because I would have had so much shame around it. I would have had so much fear about what people thought. But now I've moved to a place where I, I do. In fact, I like, I, I love myself. I love who I'm becoming. I love my son who just who just walked in. Do you want to say hi? Say hi. Yeah, say the microphone. Say hi. Hi, microphone. <laughs> hi, microphone. Okay. I love you. Oh. Hold on. Yeah. So anyway, that that is like shame. It's like one of the most one of the most unproductive things for me, but I carried it for so long. I want to talk about that too because I think 
So something on my end when it comes to shame, it took me who 27 years of my life to accept that I had needs. I was so ashamed of having needs. I couldn't even identify what they were. So you talk about like the infidelity and the cheating and all this, and you had so much shame around it. I felt so ashamed for like being human. Like I was so disconnected from the fact that I even had needs, that it was okay to ask for them to be mad, which is so wild. Like I went, when I first started going to therapy and working through my stuff, it took my therapist like seven to eight months to get me to the point that I would even admit that I had needs. I was so disconnected from them. So I would date people and I would put their needs ahead of mine because I would never ask for mine to be met. Or I would date people who couldn't meet my needs. Like they had their own stuff going on, whether it was like things with their family, their own mental health issues, whatever it is. So I would just relive situations that reinforce that like my needs didn't matter because there was no space for them. So I find it interesting and it's really cool. And I want to shout you out for this. I was so disconnected from that part of myself that I couldn't even identify that I was ashamed of that until you and me became friends. And you would talk to me about shame. And I was like, what? Like, yeah. And then you would express and you would say these different things. And I was like, I have shame. I feel shame, but I feel shame for just being human and having needs. And I was like, what is like up with me? So it was interesting. And I think it's really cool the journey that we go on because through you working through your stuff and being willing to share it with me, I was able to identify that I also felt ashamed of a lot and had to work through it. I still do get into a relationship with me and you're like, what do you need? And I'm just like, I can't talk to you right now. (laughs) My brain shuts off because I feel ashamed of having to like speak up and be like, this isn't, this space doesn't feel good for me. So it's funny. We all go through it. None of us are perfect. I still struggle with it to this day. Yeah. And I I think guilt, and it's, it's, it's like important to distinguish guilt and shame, right? So like guilt is I feel bad because of something I did, whereas shame is like, I feel bad because of who I am kind of thing. Mm. And, and I had to, to differentiate the two. And, and for, for sure, so much of mine was not being able to look myself in the mirror, not being able to look myself in the eye and, and like who I was. Like That was such a huge part of my life. And, and also a huge underlying factor of why I was doing the things that I was doing, which I want to... This could be a, such a huge topic, but just as as broad strokes as we can, you know, both of us, both of us have experienced or know someone who has been through or attended some type of like twelve step group, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really came to understand as a part of like why I was doing exhibiting behaviors that I was, no, being in those rooms, which I, I did try. And as you know, committed full force to for like a year and a half, you know, did the steps, sponsor all the things, right? But I figured out in the midst of that process that being in that environment where we were like identifying as the very thing that we were trying not to do over and over and over again wasn't the the cure to my behavior, right? Like I thought that, oh, I'll just go to these meetings and that will cure me. It'll somehow fill this void that I have that's that's the root cause of the behavior. It's like, 
And I know that a lot of women listening to this have been with a partner who has been unfaithful or like a serial cheater or a liar, et cetera. And one quote that I heard at one point was, behind every villain is a victim's story who has been untold, right? So like all that's that kind of talks, that kind of alludes to the, the shame that, that like someone like that would feel, right? And I, I carried so much shame, but I had to venture out of those rooms because number one, the identity shift, which was I, I couldn't keep identifying as the very thing I was trying not to be over and over. It was unproductive. It was, it was actually amplifying the shame I was trying to heal from. The other part of it was I was so unwhole. Like I lacked so much wholeness. All of my self-worth and my well-being hinged on things outside of me. And I had to full force, full send, work on cultivating that love for self. Like I had to understand that the the fulfillment that I wanted to feel, the love that I wanted to so deeply to feel and the the admiration, it all had to come from me. I had to look myself in the mirror. So what I, I just did an exercise that I mean simple exercise. I just got in front of the mirror butt naked and looked at myself in the eye and just and this wasn't isn't like shouting affirmations to yourself. Because like there's obviously there's a lot of pop psychology going around and guruism that, you know, it's like affirmations, affirmations, those are great. I had to literally talk to myself, have a conversation with myself. And it was so, so uncomfortable, but I had to look at my, and because then that's why it was uncomfortable. I couldn't even look at myself, have a conversation with myself because I lacked so much wholeness and love. But I had to look at myself and say, Hey man, I love you. You're a good dad. You're a good person. You and I just started there. I started with things that I knew to be true, right? And then it grew from there. And you know, eventually, I could say things like, "God, like you're, you, you have such good morals. You have integrity with self. You made a good decision yesterday. That was good, you know." And then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And then now, instead of just saying it to myself in the mirror, you know, ever so I, I live it and I, I have those values. And then from there, the wholeness grew. Like, okay, now, now that I filled this gap that I, I lacked before, let's cultivate some stuff that I like to do just for myself. Because that was a thing I was lacking too. It's like, I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> I can, like nothing I do for fun to fill that cup. Other relationships with men. That was, that's kind of the one that I'm still working on. That's a, a big one. It's like, I've surrounded myself with women for, for six years. I don't, I, I lacked that nutrient in my nutrition, so to speak, like the vitamin male, because you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of reasons why, but I've now I've started to cultivate really intimate, integral relationships with men. Like I have an awesome business partner who's just a phenomenal guy. And so that is just now that wholeness piece, now that that bit has been made so much better than it was, the old behaviors just simply aren't a part of my, they're just not a part of my, I don't want to say they're not there because they're aspects of self, right? They're not the whole self, but like, just like you with, with, with giving up drugs, it's like, sure, that's like in the back of my psyche somewhere, but it's no longer a, like, it just no longer happens because I have filled that, that gap. Mm. So I just, I wanted to hit on that because like someone like yourself, you know, overcame drugs without the use of those rooms. How do you, you know, like what's, what is that? Like, what is the, what was the bubble that needed to be filled and, and continues to be filled to this day? I think a lot of people are searching for that answer in a place where they, they may not find it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is like, where you talk about the guruism, identity is what gets us into that mess in the first place. You don't need a new identity. 
You don't need to create a new identity. Your work is shedding all the identities you think you should have because that's the shit that keeps you stuck. Like at your core, you're just mad. At my core, I'm just mad. Like I like to play. I like to joke. I like to have fun. You know, I like to walk barefoot in the grass. Like we all have those things. You don't need a new fucking identity. And you don't need to cling so tightly to the old one. And when I think part of the reason when we go through massive shifts in our life is that we're having an identity crisis. This isn't who I am. Holy fuck. <laughs> part of it is. <laughs> like you're not, you're not fully integrated there. You know, like those panic attacks, those freakouts, the, you know, you lose a bunch of money, you lose a significant other, like, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. It's like, no, that was the story that you crafted of who you were supposed to be and what life was supposed to look like. And then when the story started to crack, you're like, but that's my identity. It's like, ah, but that was the thing that was keeping you stuck in the first place. And I think that a lot of the ways that we do our healing, like the affirmations, I think affirmations are in a lot of ways a joke. It's like, I am this, I am that. Do just live it, just be it. What does a kind person look like? Hold the fucking door open for the 45-year-old grandma. Just be it. You don't have to write it. I see people who write their affirmations every single day and then their behaviors do not map to the things they are telling themselves that they are. Well, no shit. You feel unsettled with self. You're saying one thing and you're doing another. It applies to being faithful in a relationship. Oh, yeah, I'm totally committed to you, but I'm sleeping with your coworker. It's like, oh, I'm writing all these things that I'm confident and I'm this and I speak my truth. And then somebody does something that hurts your feelings and you're like, oh, I got nothing to say. That's not congruent. Just be it. Just live it. Be do have. Be do have. Any goal you ever set in your life that you don't accomplish, it's simply because you just didn't become the person. Like, it's that simple. Who must I be? For me, like, I have three things that I'm probably very deliberate about, and I'll share one of them. And it's, I must be deliberate, focused, and purposeful with my time. Period. That's all I say to myself. I must be deliberate, focused, and purposeful with my time. Somebody asks, hey, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) None of that is deliberate, focused, or purposeful to the life that I'm looking to create. I don't need affirmations. I'm laughing, y'all, because she she ain't bullshit. Like that is that is how she lives. Everything that she said, it's how she lives. And it's it's like. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's the coolest thing about you is like there's no there is zero fucking guruism going on in this moment, mm-hmm. and that's I, I admire that. I've always admired that about you. I have I have strove to to embody that myself as well. That's one of the things that I mean, one of the most positively profound impacts you've had. Just just being, you know, you're in Canada. I'm in the U, and I'm in South Florida, but simply interacting with you as of, as we have for the past few years has, you know, it's risen, it's, it's raised the waterline for me in so many areas of my life. So I know that so many people are going to get value from this, from this episode, talking about being deliberate uh, and purposeful, you know, your, your time here was deliberate and purposeful. And I know that a lot of people will appreciate you. So now I know we could talk for days, but I know you're a, you're a super busy, awesome 
business owner. And I just want to say thank you for, for coming to the to the pod today. I, I made a calendar invite for Nat today, y'all, on Google Calendar. said, Matt and Nat going potty. Do you get it? <laughs> Do you guys get it? <laughs> you guys get it? Okay. Maybe they get it. I don't know. But anyway, you know, podcast. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on, Nat. I love you to death. Always, always will. Weird. And I appreciate you being here today. Mm, thank you. I love you too. And I hope all the ladies listening to this take take what lands, discard what doesn't, but find the one thing from the episode that landed for you that feels like truth and do something with it. I think if they apply just one of the 50 nuggets that were dropped here today, they would see a profound change in their life. So with that, farewell. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Doodles. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.